Hi, this is Jeanette Creamore, or you may know me as JC. Welcome to Laugh, Learn, Lead, a podcast show that helps project sponsors, project managers, and their teams shape their project success stories. I'll be sharing interviews that bring a different perspective to what project success looks and feels like, as well as unpacking our conversations to provide insights and practical tips. Stay tuned and enjoy. Hi listeners, in this episode I catch up with Leonie McCarthy, owner of 6R Retail, where she works with retailers on implementing their systems and e-commerce projects, focusing on setting up internal structures and skills so both the retailer and vendor get great results. Leonie has worn many hats from subject matter expert to business analyst and to project manager. She loves building great teams, leading people through change and contributing to practical solutions that get to the heart of solving problems. More recently, Leonie has been working closely with the Accent Group digital team to deliver a whole ecosystem from new websites, integration with ERP systems, logistics processes. We talk about how she works with her client and and is the technology translator, the challenges facing the retail industry, and how making our customer experience simple is important. Morning, Leonie. Thank you so much for joining me today for having me. Um, how is it up there in Sydney? Oh, it's a little bit chillier today, but uh, we've got clear skies and it's looking sunny, so all good. Yeah, no, it's beautiful and sunny here in Melbourne today. Can you help our listeners understand a little bit about you and how you became the owner of your business 6R? Well, as the, I guess I have worked for my entire life in and around and for retailers. And uh, I met Janet Clough, who was the owner of 6R, when I was doing a um, project rescue, you could call it, um, at uh, a, a Australian retailer um, in about 2005. And over the years, Janet and I worked closely on a number of projects together, and we did a huge implementation for um uh, one of the very or the first implementation of what was then called um, NSB then became Epicor and I think it's currently called Aptos in Australia and at that point in time she was offered a role within the client organisation and so needed to sell the business and I was happy to take it off her hands. Six hours sort of comes out of those four marketing pillars so product, price, place and promotion which are really uh, you know a uh, I guess, backbone of retail businesses. But um, when you're looking at a retail business through those lenses, you're also looking, well, particularly from a merchandise planning perspective, you're also looking at quantity, which is one of the other, you know, rights, I guess we call it a right of retail. And fundamentally, you can't deliver any of the rights of retail without having the right people on your team. So that's where the six R's come from, the six rights of retail. Um, and we, you know, tweak that frame to to assist businesses in terms of their adjustment to change projects. So your business looks after the retail industry, is that right? So implement systems. What's 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 6R do for their clients? So I'd say that we are we sit on the client side, we're advocates for the client. And um we mainly work in retail, although we have done some projects with I I describe it as project delivery. And uh, I've worked and lived in retail my entire working life. So I have a real sense and understanding of how that industry works. So it is within the retail industry that we mainly focus on project delivery. 
Um, so we sit on the client side and typically that involves either, you know, coaching and focusing the client into making sure that they've done all the things that they need to do to create the right delivery for a successful project so that they're aligned with what the software vendor is going to deliver. And sometimes it means you know, working with a software vendor to lift or to adjust their style or process to make sure that they're communicating well with the client. So a lot of what we do is sort of in that middle ground between the software vendor and the client. So for me, that would be you'd be probably a translator for your clients then because sometimes the v- the vendor can use technology terms that the your customer has. That's no such idea. a great way to that's such a great way to describe it, Jeanette. And I often say to people that we speak conversational, we speak conversational tech, we speak conversational merchandise planning, we speak conversational. That's, that's, no, we're not deep experts in you know merchandise planning, for example. But I can interpret and explain merchandise planning terminology to a technologist or a technolo- technology person. So. Um, yes, a translator. We do a lot of translating. Um, I had this fantastic project, or I had this fantastic guy on, on one of the projects that we did um, a couple of years ago who described us as uh, human middleware, which, you know, <laughs> I think coming from a technology background, you might appreciate that, um, that as a, a way of, a, a way of explaining what it is we do. Yeah, I'm, I'm finding now more and more we actually have to get more that translator because technology is changing so much and so rapidly there's terms that are popping up and the customer's just going please explain to me what that means so you know sometimes you get the whiteboard out or you know you put it into a scenario or an analogy that they understand because exactly yeah so yeah yeah and we have a um, we have a software vendor that we've been working with over the last 12 months and i was sort of earlier this year at their internal sales conference and um they have a lot of what are those what I call alphabet soup, you know, the, the, the three-letter acronyms. Yeah. And um, I showed them a Google search term for one of their three-letter acronyms and they uh, laughed They laughed at it. But then afterwards, someone in the crowd actually explained to me that sometimes they even confuse themselves with their three-letter acronyms because different departments within their organization use the same acronym, but it means different things. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, oh, <laughs> plain English, yep. just plain English. <laughs> So I can assume that not every day for you is the same. So what excites you about what you do? That's a good point, actually, because I was saying to somebody recently that one of the reasons that I do what I do is because I'm not very good at doing the same thing every day. And even when you are doing, um, even when you're delivering the same piece of technology in the same business, um, you've got a different team of people, you've got a different time, the external influences are different, you know, the, the, the project um, lives and breathes in its own sort of unique experience and every project is by its very existence sort of the, it's the embodiment of the fact that we think we can't get it done in everyday business. So it usually brings together a group of people who are sort of perhaps not usually in contact with one another and the part that I really love about the project work that I do is usually the people that I work with um, and the teams that get sort of formed and and the relationships that get created within an organisation that perhaps weren't there before. Um, that is one of the, the joys, I guess I would say, of the kind of work that, that we do. Um, the other thing that I truly love is when I sort of see people who you know, get ignited and and um, passionate about their the project and get really into it, and it sort of evolves their career or their 
their role in an organisation. So you, you see them sort of like really lift and take on something new and exciting and it just unleashes some potential. Um, and, and that's a really rewarding part, I think, of the job. I always say that projects are the best place to learn and grow because it's safe. Um, you're not in the operational space where you have to yeah. that transactional part of the organisation. Projects are a place where you can learn and grow. So absolutely love that. I encourage I everyone. It's really lovely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that's a really lovely way to express it. It, it is absolutely that sort of that piece that's a little bit outside. It's a little bit you can kind of test the boundaries a little bit too, you know. There's no, yeah, and you, and you get to work with people who perhaps you normally wouldn't get to interact with. I think that's the other thing for people inside the organisation. Yeah. So it's you've, you've had success. I, I know some of your projects and some of the things that you've achieved have been extraordinary. Is there one project in particular, though, that you go, yep, that's a highlight for me and why? I was thinking about this the other day, actually, or I was having a conversation with my husband about it and success is such a subjective term, don't you think? It's, um, it can be defined and, and redefined in so many different ways and I've often said that the delivery, standing up the tech is not success. Success is, well, for me, success is when the business owns it and uses it and it's embedded inside the organisation. You're actually getting the business benefits out of the the work that you've started that you've done. And when I think about when I think about successful projects, one of the you know most challenging projects that um, I've worked on in the last couple of years was one where we were working with a, a retailer who had both a franchise group of stores and a corporate group of stores. Um, and the problem they were looking to solve was that the franchise stores weren't really buying and supporting the idea of online purchasing. They sort of didn't really um, perceive online as being part of the offer to the customer. They sort of saw it as maybe giving away the sale rather than, you know, something that complemented what they were they were doing. So the retailer were looking to get alignment across the whole business. And so the intention was to remove the centralized fulfillment system, so remove the warehouse and to fill from the store network. So when you've got two different sort of parts of the store network or who operate in two sort of different ways, um, that was, you know, reasonably complex. Um, the intention was to open up the network, you know, the whole of the online inventory to customers and then also to sort of allow the stores to feel like they really owned that online channel. And that was a pretty complicated project because the existing system couldn't really handle it. So there were other pieces that needed to fit in. There was, um, you know, the relationships with both franchise and corporate stores. There was, you know, relationships with different, um, there three or four different suppliers that needed integration points to one another, three or four different um, pieces of technology. Um, there were different couriers for, you know, different way, ways of ordering, you know, so one for the outbound delivery, one for the inbound deliveries. The setup of the courier process was quite complex and, and it was a really, you know, it was a really tricky project to, to execute. Um, and, you know, but the rollout went reasonably smoothly. It reasonably smoothly. It took longer than we expected, but it went reasonably smoothly. And, you know, when we got to it, it actually has really achieved 
the business objectives, which was to align, to, to see online purchasing as part of the business. Um, the conversion rate has gone up significantly online. I think it's, you know, it, it increased by, you know, 100% in the first three months or something insane like that. Um, so, you know, the, the success of that project was really, I guess, around the business having a vision to be able to execute it. But it was a, it was a really exciting project to work on. So a couple of things I picked up there is that success is defined differently by not just ourselves as the project manager, but also by our client and the people involved. So people should be defining what success is for them as part of the project. Completely. We, we, do, this, we do this success um, visualisation exercise, I guess you could call it, at um, the beginning of every project. Um, and sort of work to try and visualize. And fascinatingly enough, I was reading this article um, this morning about Amazon and how they work from they they sort of they work backwards. They they create their um, what is it the release the media release at the beginning of the project, sort of articulating in plain English to the customer what the benefit of the project or what the benefit of the thing that they're doing, not necessarily a project. But I was just thinking about how that's a great way to kind of reflect on or, or, or to think about success criteria, to, to put yourself in and go, okay, well, what, what does it look like if we're successful? How do we explain it to our customer? What are the benefits for our customer? Because a lot in retail, a lot of the time we're trying to improve the experience for customers, for the end customers, and that's the people inside the business, inside the retail business, but also the end consumers or the people or online interacting with the business. Mm. But yeah, I completely, yes, I do think that success is, to, to achieve success too, you've got to be clear about how you're going to measure it. Like what is it that we would say or do or how would we know that we've been successful? Like if we had to show somebody who wasn't part of this experience how we've been successful, what would we show them? We would show them this is what it used to look like and this is what it is now or this is how we used to behave and this is how we do it now. So um, there has to be, with that sort of definition of success, there also has to be a couple of, at least a couple of clearly articulated things to measure and there are some things that are harder to, I'm sure you would know, there are some things that are harder to measure than others. Absolutely. Mm. You know, in our life, not everything goes smoothly with our projects. We we plan, we review, we replan. <laughs> That's an almost daily activity, don't you think? <laughs> yep. I was doing it this morning just before I spoke to you. I was going, okay, now what am I doing with this one? Now that yep. I've got a couple more curveballs thrown my way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is there one project though that you go, yep, if I hadn't have learnt that lesson, I wouldn't be. <laughs> I think uh, I think every week gives you a lesson. If you haven't learned something, or every day gives you a lesson, you're constantly learning. Um, I guess the, there's one that stands out for me though that was a really, a really big learning curve, and it was one where we sort of stepped away from what we typically do, and it was for me personally, at least, it was a massive learning curve. Um, we were approached by an overseas software vendor to be the local sort of on-the-ground support people for their system. And 
you know, it's a great system. I really liked it. Um, I really liked the guy that was running the business. I felt like they were fair, really customer friendly. The way they structured their licensing, the way they dealt with customers felt really sort of balanced and, and fair. But, and so we signed up to this process. But then as we worked through the project, what became clear to me sort of as we were going through it is that because we were aligned with the software vendor, which we typically had never been before, you get a different dynamic in the relationship with the customer, with the client. And we were not able to be that advocate for the client that we had previously been. And it really didn't work. And um, it was actually the only project where I was not able to find a way to complete the plan and um, the client pulled out, which was devastating at the time and a really tough call to make. But, you know, as you would probably appreciate, things happen for a reason Um, or, you know, you find a learning in every crappy situation. Um, You know, I think that, and I'll pick apart the project afterwards, it was one of those, you know, I guess seminal kind of experiences where you go, this has gone so horribly wrong. What can I what can I salvage out of this situation? And I remember, you know, reading about how aeronautical oh, so aeronautical engineers approached flying and how every time there was a crash, there was a wreckage and they would pick over it. And so we adopted this pro- approach with this particular project and we picked over the wreckage of this project again and you know but we just kept going over it until I felt like we had extracted every last piece of valuable lesson out of it but I think the the critical thing that we got out of that was that fundamentally our sweet spot is when we're engaged by the client you know we've been approached since by software vendors to work on local support and help selling them into the market and I'm now just really super clear that that is not our thing and you know I'm really comfortable in saying thank you appreciate a compliment but you know that's not that's not what we do um so a hard lesson but yeah <laughs> thank you for being so honest because that to me is gold um you took the time and for me what I heard was that you're very clear about your values and who you are to support, that you're there for your, the organisation, not the vendor who's trying to implement the technology. So that that's huge. And a lot of people, I feel, aren't aligned to their values and they try to push a wheelbarrow up a hill and yet, like you said, fundamentally there was a misalignment rather than pulling away yeah. um, and acknowledging that it was the wrong decision. Um, that's, that's gold, Leone. Yeah, and I think, look, you can, I think in every situation you find some more, some more of that, you know, there's layers to it, don't you? Um, You know, I'm sure you would agree. I absolutely think that you've got to be true to yourself in where you're going and what you're presenting and finding finding clients who value that and recognise that is actually you know, that's the, that's the game for me. Mm, oh, and I mean, I'm very fortunate that I can pick and choose who I work with. And for me, one of the things in my um, 
initial 30-minute chat to someone in their organisation, I get a gut feel that we're not going to be aligned. So I just go, thank you for the Mm. opportunity, but no, I'm not the right person for you. But these are three people that you might want to consider having a further chat with. But I, I know myself, I operate the best when I'm aligned with, Mm. with the organization's values and their culture um, on what they're trying to achieve. Yeah, I think that's probably for all of us, mm. really. And I think perhaps we are all at our best when we're aligned in that values piece. But I think that it's about awareness of and, and self-knowledge about, you know, your being able to articulate your own values and, and then being able to sort of feel whether you're in alignment or not. Because so often people just sort of, gloss over and continue in spite of the fact that something is not quite right. Love that. In the retail industry, there is so much online shopping now. Like I'm, I'm a bit of an old school girl though. I still like to go and touch and feel the merchandise. Um, yeah. But what's some of the challenges the retail industry are facing at the moment that you can see that might come around and bite us in the butt or they got a good handle on it or what's going on? So interesting that you talk about that sort of um, wanting the experience of going into store and touching and feeling. Um, There's an interesting sort of research that says that the next generation of, you know, the young young things still very much looking for a store experience. 90% of sales still happen in store. Um, in spite of the fact that online is growing, it's online is, I think, a lot about, and, and don't get me wrong, I think you can definitely have a great brand experience online, but um, I think, you know, there's, there's this complementary sort of piece where customers don't really care whether you're online or in store. They just see your brand above the door and they assume that the whole thing is the same same, right? Mm. So I think a lot of the projects that we've been working on in the last couple of years have been around sort of um, marrying the, the online and offline sort of, you know, even just managing inventory as, as one pool so that wherever it is, wherever the customer is, they can purchase. So that project that I was describing before, that was huge, you know. And and for a seamless customer experience, for the customer to be able to click online and go, is it available in my local store? That actually requires a lot of pieces to work really well in behind the scenes. Mm. And so, you know, you know, so I think one of the challenges or one of the challenges that I see in retail is definitely around trying to create a customer experience that's consistent and um, and simple enough that, that people don't get overwhelmed. Because I think that what we're all struggling with at the moment is almost firehose of too much information. Mm. Um, and we're struggling to keep attention. They talk about the attention economy now where, you know, you're, you're competing for people's, you know, six seconds of attention. Um, so if people have actually listened to this point in the podcast, they've, you know, given given you more than their six seconds of attention, <laughs> given yeah. us more than their six yeah. seconds of attention. Um, but what we're seeing at the moment, I mean, retailers are, are experiencing the same challenges that I think everybody else is experiencing. Um, you know, we're watching 
shifting demographics with buying power moving to a younger generation. We're seeing, you know, rising costs of, you know, power, rent. Um, we're seeing the, the, the tension between suppliers and retailers. You know, there's been a lot in the news recently about the, um, the two grocery chains here in Australia and uh, their, their relationships with their suppliers. We're also seeing, I think, also a shift in, in what a store really is. You know, the, um, the World Economic Forum uh, report from 2017 talked about 15% of stores closing in the next decade. So here we are, we're two years into that next decade, and we're seeing stores evolve and become more, I think, like, you know, almost like a service hub. I sort of see see them potentially being like that. Um, in the US and China, we're already seeing the repurposing of retail space. Um, we probably in Australia have way too much retail space for the number of people that live here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, I think it, we're going to see some really significant shifts in terms of how retailers create that. Um, they're looking, you know, that there's a lot of discussion about experience, in-store experience, and, um, you know, just relating a, a personal experience from the weekend. I went to buy a replacement microwave, and the in-store experience in this situation does not need to be, you know, it does not need to be dancing girls. It, it, it can really just be, I want a seamless transaction. I need to do a little bit of product comparison. I need to feel like, you know, I've bought something that's going to last for another 10, 10 plus years, hopefully. Um, you know, and that will fit in the space that I have available for my microwave, right? Mm-hmm. And the, the the sales experience was exactly like that. It was fine. But then we sat, stood in the queue and I stood in a queue for, I reckon, seven or eight minutes. And while I stood in the queue, I watched four people behind the service desk do not serving the customer. So I was standing in the queue. I was about three people back in the queue and it frustrates me more than anything else to sit there and just watch people do sign writing and processing the returns and reorganizing stock when there are people waiting to pay. And all I needed to do was pay. Yeah, I get you. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> I had similar experience at the airport this week. I'm, I'm a frequent traveler and yet mm. a changeover in system meant that there was staff having a chat around how it wouldn't work. And I went, um, it's a simple check-in just don't worry about your own little agenda. Um, hello. <laughs> like, oh, it's so frustrating. But Hello, customer waiting over here. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so there are some of those, I, I, and I, I look at those kind of interactions, and, and then, but then you also see this sort of um, conversation in the press. I saw something in the press recently around, you know, more um, staff, retail staff going on um, stress leave for being verbally abused by customers. And then you look at those sort of situations where, you know, customers are being sort of ignored or not attended to and you're sort of like, well, that's probably feeding that verbal, you know, frustration and abuse. So it's it's a, it's an interesting where as, as things tighten and as, mar- as margins get tighter and as things tighten, I think the whole situation becomes... Um, mm-hmm more fragile and fragmented and uh, increasingly retailers need to spend time um, and and focus uh, just 
really trying to get to the bottom of understanding their customers and what it is that they're looking for. So, you know, the microwave transaction is not the same as a lipstick transaction, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I guess some of the other things that I think that, are, you know, big macro things that are going to push retail around, um, you know, recycling and the total value chain ownership, you know, they've huge pictures last year after Singles Day about in um, China all the packaging that had arrived with Singles Day and, and one of the, the difficulties with online transactions is how much packaging we create. Um, you know, we've seen the banning of single-use plastic bags in some states in Australia. With you know, when we have to move towards being more effective with the way that we use resources on the planet. Mm. Um, and I think that that's got to have an it's got to come out everywhere. You know, the what was it the EU? There was a presentation a couple of weeks ago, and and they were talking about how all systems really needed major rethinking. Um, I haven't put my mind to doing any major rethinking on on what those systems are, but um, you know, you think about health, you think about retail, you think about you know power and energy. There are so many. Um, Industries that will be that need to shift in order for us to adapt. You're definitely an expert in this space, that's for sure. I've learned so much from you when you talk to me about the retail industry. Thank you for that. In closing, Leonie, we know we can't do this alone. Um, it takes you know, a tribe to to raise a child, <laughs> but also it takes a tribe to look after us. Do you have any people? Keep the same, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you have. Um, do you have a group of people or some individuals that like inspire you or cheer you on or give you that support you need to kind of look at things differently when you might be lost? Yeah, I, I guess none of us exist in isolation, right? So, of course, there's you know my family who um, you know, tolerate tolerate my rants and rage. <laughs> um, but I think there's also that. I mean, you and I met through the LBD group and, and having that professional network too has also been incredibly valuable to me. Not everybody in there is a um, professional, you know, not everybody in there works in retail or necessarily works in projects, but the the experience of being in business and, and grappling with, you know, the challenges of clients and, you know, customers and staff and all, all the all the things that you you deal with running a business um, have has definitely been a real support. Um, just in terms of you know, sometimes it's just as much as knowing that you're not alone and these things happen for other people too. Mm. Um, I don't know whether that is, is similar for you, but it, um, yeah, that that has definitely been a a, um, a major source of um, support and and really just those individual relationships and friendships. I would say um, have been incredibly important to me. And I also think about you know people who I who I read. So I don't know them personally, but I find them really um, I really find them inspiring. I mean, the very first. Um, retail book that I ever read was by a guy called Paco Underhill and he wrote this book called Why We Buy and I remember reading I think maybe back in 2005 or something like that and he was a um, probably the beginning of behavioural economics which is sort of like one of those um, subjects that I just love to delve into because I find 
some of the the way that they set up um, experiments and and the kind of insights and science that they get um, really fascinating. So I, I developed, I guess, a, a um, I don't know whether you would call it a, a habit of just you know reading. I read every day. I try and write every day. I'm not necessarily so good at that that part of things, but. I get a lot of inspiration from the things that I read and from the people around me. You know, even just I was thinking about it at this this morning at the gym, the guy who was the guy who was on the treadmill right next to me was going quite a bit faster than me. I'm like, you know, you get a little bit of energy from the fact that he's just going a little bit fast. You know, so I think that um, my uh, my approach to inspiration is really, I think, grounded and and quite um, local. In that, I would never say to you, I'm inspired by a sort of a public figure. Not that I'm. Not that I don't think that public figures can be inspiring, but I guess I'm I look more to the um, the everyday or the everyday experiences around me, the and the people who are you know um, struggling with difficulties, you know, um, who get on and do stuff anyway. You know, I find that sort of stuff incredibly inspiring. Yep, that's well. I know you inspire me, and um, I I'm so grateful for the opportunity when we catch up on. Um, it's not often, but when it when we do, it's um, very rewarding for me because I learn so much. So thank you for today. Yeah, the feeling is more than mutual, my friend. Um, absolutely, I love catching up with you too. Always learn something from from you. I've made some. I've made some notes. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Leonie. Have a great day. Thank you for listening, and I hope you have a few ideas to take action. I would love for you to rate and review the show. I too need feedback to learn. Cheers for now. Remember, a day without laughter is a day wasted.